The scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 12. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended to the lower regions, the earth? He who descended, the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. It is really good to be back. Thank you to, I don't know if Shannon's here. I don't see her this morning. There she is. Thanks to Shannon, to Dave, uh, to Gil, who preached a couple weeks ago, and then my friend Brian. Uh, very thankful that we could take my, get my family away. We drove 2,800 miles. I, I talked to someone. They said, yeah, we did that when our kids were young one time. <laughs> That's probably going to be true of us, too. It is good to be back. If you remember, we were in a, in a study in the book of Ephesians, and I'm glad to be getting back to that today. Before we do, let's pray. God, thanks for your grace. Thank you again for your holy word. You've spoken your supernatural revelation into this world for our benefit, that we might know you and see you and trust you. And so first, we just say thank you for this. But now we would ask that you would do a serious work on our hearts for our good, for the good of this community and for the good of this world, that you would open our hearts to see what you have here. Use the spirit that resides within us. God, I pray for those today who are just checking out faith, just checking out Jesus. God, I pray that you would be present with them, that they would see what they would need to. God, we offer all these things before you and ask that you be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's a lot of signs that I'm getting old. I'm not going to go through all of them. But one of the signs I'm getting old is that I love to watch reruns of the Andy Griffith show. Love it. Partly because it's clean and I can have my kids watch it, but they don't quite get it yet. But I'm, I keep on making them watch it. I love it. If you ever get a chance, I think my favorite scene of all time is when Andy is sitting down at Sheriff Taylor. And he's sitting down with his son, and for like six minutes, he retells the story of Romeo and Juliet, but only in the way that Andy Griffith could do it. It is amazing. Just go find it on YouTube. But that's actually not the story I want to uh, talk to you about, or the, the episode I want to tell you about. I just wanted to share that. So this episode is a classic episode, and it doesn't even involve Sheriff Taylor. He's actually gone out of town, and if you know anything about the show, his deputy is Barney, and he leaves Barney in charge. Well, Barney knows that he can't do it alone. He can't do the job alone, and so he goes and deputizes the town mechanic named Gomer. And sure enough, something awful happens. Nothing ever awful happens in that town, but something awful happens. There's a bank robbery, and they see it going down, and they hide behind this car, right? They see this happening, and Gomer looks at Barney, and he says excitedly, Shazam, we need to call the police. Barney shoots back in exasperation, we are the police. We are the police. Now, I am not exasperated, 
But I am passionate and excited to tell you, the church, that you are needed. A great work, in fact, the greatest work, is before all of us. It is before you. You are the front line. You are in the batter's box. Every single one of you is needed, is necessary for the work that God has given to the church. Friends, brothers, and sisters, I want you to hear this. You are ministers. You are ministers. You are the priesthood of royal believers. It is up to you to do the work of ministry. As we see all this laid out before us, we are not to think, well, who's going to do it? We are to think we are to do it. And so the question before you this morning and before me this morning is, are you serving? Are you serving in ministry, inside the church, in other places in the world? Are you doing the work God has called you specifically to, that God has gifted you to do? Now, if you are not, I want to be serious. On the one hand, I think you are squandering the things that God has given you. You're squandering the amazing presence and gifts that he has given to you to do his work. On the other hand, if you are not using, if you are not serving, you are missing out. You are missing out on grace and joy and deep community, on experiencing the power of God to change lives. So that's what the sermon is about this morning. And I want to dig deep today. I want to reflect well. I want you to consider how God can use you for ministry in this world. Even if you're serving now, maybe God has new plans for you. There's much to be done. So again, we are in Ephesians again, Ephesians chapter 4. We're kind of backtracking a little bit. We did all of, all of the first 16 verses a couple weeks ago. Now we're backtracking into verses 7 through 12. Ephesians 4, 7 through 12. And here's the first point. I'm going to kind of reveal them as we go. The first point is this. You are called to build the church. That's the first point. You are called to build the church. Okay, now look at verse 11. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. So I think that the, it's pretty simple what he's driving at, right? It's pretty simple what he's getting at. Christians are to do the work of ministry. Christians are to do the work of ministry. Now, that's a kind of a Christianese word. What does that mean? What does the word ministry mean? Well, it comes from a Greek word that simply means service. Ministry, as just this base layer we're, we're working on, is service sacrificial, laying your life down service to others. It is putting the needs of others above yourself, before yourself. Paul says that a Christian is marked by putting his or her needs aside to meet the needs of others. Now, he doesn't just say you're to serve. He actually says there's a reason for that. There's a goal to your service. Sacrificial service is intended to do something. And, and there's a goal for ministry. What is it? You see it there at the end of verse 12. For the building of the body of Christ. Our sacrificial service, our setting aside our needs for others is for the building of the body 
of Christ. Now, if you have a good memory, if you remember from chapter 2, we talked a little bit about this, about the body of Christ, about building it. It's very specific language from Paul. He talked about the Jews and the Gentiles coming together. They were separated before, but now they are coming together. The Jews represented the Jewish faith and the Gentiles everything else. And now in Christ, these two groups that were far apart are coming together. They are being built. Ephesians 2.19 says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now listen, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple into the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So maybe you remember that we said that Christians are like stones. They are like building stones. They are all individually shaped, but they are being put together. Stacked one on top of the other to make the walls, the roof for the temple built for God by the Spirit. One by one, one on top of the other. And so it's this amazingly intimate picture if you think about it. Of men and women coming together, being built one on top of the other For the sake of unity, for the glory of God, for the joy of all peoples. Now to do that, to take stones that are not really alike, is hard work. It is not easy work. It requires ministry to do it. So when you come to New England, I'm not from here originally, but when you come, you immediately notice something that sets New England apart. And I don't know if you've seen them, of course you probably have, are the stone fences, especially when you're in some of the older parts of New England, like Lexington. These stone fences that are lining uh, different parts of the, the countryside. And you see it, you go up to them, and you see they're really strong, but they're not made out of bricks. They're made out of all sorts of different stones. Different sizes. And they still actually do that. If you ever watch this old house, they still have people who are experts in crafting these amazing stone fences. And it is hard work. Painstaking. It is a masterful process to make this beautiful, long, sturdy fence. But they have to lift rock after rock. They have to deal with their rough surface. They have to take each rock and try to get it to fit just right so that it is level all the way across. And they do it often in the blazing humidity and sun. But when it is finished, it is an amazing thing, isn't it? To build the church of God is also not easy. We do not naturally fit together. To bring each of us together in unity and love, to bring all of our flaws and emotional baggage and cultural and racial differences and sin, to bring all of that together, to put it together is not easy. Ministry is not easy to bring healing to the hurting, hope to the hopeless, joy to the joyless. Though it is not easy, it is what we are called to do. We must serve the body to build it. We must give of ourselves to build the church. Now, I just want to quickly add that I don't think that it just means the people inside of this building. I think Paul has eyes for the rest of the world. He sees other stones out there. People who do not yet know Jesus need to be brought in. Our 
our clarion call for doing ministry in this world is to all people to lay our lives down, to set aside our needs, our wants for the joy of all peoples. Now, who does this work? Who does this work? Now, we've kind of been saying it, but I think that we need to say it a little more explicitly. Who labors to save souls and to unite the body? Read verse 11 again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Okay, so that makes sense to us. These are the professional ministers. These are the extraordinary servants of God, the experts, the licensed practitioners. And this is probably what many of us are expecting. Yeah, those are the people who do the work. Who does the ministry? Well, the professional ministers do. They have the special gifts. They have the desire. And they are the ones we give our money to. We give in the offering so that they can do their work to build up the church, to evangelize the lost. So are those the only ministers? Are those the people who are to build the body? It's actually not what this text says, is it? And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This may be the most important thing that you hear all morning. If you are a Christian, you are a minister. If you are a Christian, you are to pour yourself out in service to others. You see that word saint there? He gave the prophets, the apostles, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I think he means that intentionally. He uses that word intentionally. When we meet Christ, we are set apart for Jesus. He comes into our lives and he takes what is broken and lost and he blows it away. He takes what is guilty and sinful and he burns it away and he makes us into new creations. We become, it says, his workmanship like a beautiful painting or poem or piece of woodwork. And when he does this, when he sets us apart, we live for him. But not just part of him. We live all of our life for him and to live for him as we were truly intended to live is to do this work of ministry. You saints are to do the work of ministry. You have been set aside not to take a nap, but to get up and work, to serve, to build the church. Peter puts it this way. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It used to be that the priesthood, the priests were set aside. They were a subset of the Jewish community. They were a very small subset. Now it is open to all of us. We are all priests. Every member is a minister. I just want to lay out some benefits to serving. Some of the things that you may not usually think about when it comes to serving the body of Christ. What are some of the benefits of serving? Well, the first I can think of is that it builds community, that it helps you engage in community. To serve is to grow close with others. When you serve alongside others in mercy ministries and teaching ministries and administration ministries, you are becoming part of their lives. Now, I think that the opposite is just as true. It is impossible to become part of a community of Christ if you do not also take part. 
So it's not just a benefit. Really, if you are not jumping in, you are not going to get the benefit at all. There is no benefit of community apart from serving together. And so if you just come on Sundays and you don't serve, you are missing out. You are missing the sweetness of community. But as you work side by side with others, you grow in unity and camaraderie. I think that often it is service that breaks down those things that separate us. When we join arm in arm, when we work side by side with someone, we are not like. We become united with them. Our goal is on something else. We can link up over that. I remember the first time I took a trip to Mexico. It was a mission trip. And I went with a bunch of people I barely knew. I liked them, but I didn't really know them. But when I came home, the people that I barely knew were fast and long, lifelong friends. When you enter into service, you enter into community. Second, as you serve, you are energized. You are made happy. You are energized. This is a benefit of service. I often tell people, I don't know if this surprises you or not, but I tell people who are depressed or struggling with sadness or stuck in a rut, I tell them to get up and serve, even if they don't feel like it. And I say that because I think that we are meant to live for others, even when we do not think that we can do it. When we think that it's going to drain us, in fact, giving ourselves over for others fills us. It will have the opposite effect. When you see others served by the gifts that God has given you, when you see them benefiting from your sacrifice, your humble sacrifice, it is exhilarating. It is energizing. This is what I was meant to do, we say. I do think, on the other hand, we need to keep on saying this, on the other hand, there is a joy that is missed out on if we keep to ourselves. We lose energy. We are like astronauts who go out into space and don't use their muscles, and they come back atrophied. When we do not serve, we become spiritually atrophied. We are meant to serve. And when you do, you are energized. You are made happy. Here's the last thing, and it's going to jump into this next point. When you serve, you learn about you. You learn about yourself. When you serve, you learn how God has gifted you. Only when you extend yourself and your sacrifice for the needs of others do you discover that God has gifted you for particular service in this world. So our first point this morning was, you are called to build the church. Every person is called to build the church. And the second point is this, with the gifts God has given you. You are called to build the church with your spiritual gifts. Okay, now jump back to verse 7. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. That is amazing. Grace was not just given to us so we could rest, though it did provide that. Grace was given so that we could stand to serve. Grace was given to us to provide us spiritual gifts for the building of the body of Christ. Now, how is it a grace? This is important. How is it a grace? Paul answers this in the next verse. He says, it's a little strange. Next verse, verse 8. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Okay, so what does that mean? Well, Paul's actually referencing Psalm 68. He's talking about Psalm 68. In Psalm 68, you don't have to turn there. It's about a, a great commander. 
And he leads this army to victory over another army. And when that ever happened in the old days, you, you would get, a, get, you would get spoils of war, right? You would conquer armies and you would take whatever they had. And then this victorious king in Psalm 68 gives them to his people. He takes what he has earned in victory and he transfers it to them. And Paul says, Psalm 68, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus has done the same thing. He is the great victor, right? He is victorious over sin and death. When he went to the cross, his enemies thought that they were killing him, that they were defeating him. And the opposite was taking place. He was defeating them. And not just them, he was defeating the sin in our own hearts. He became victorious over the idols in our lives. And then he took all of that. He took all of that and he converted it. He converted it into grace. And that grace is forgiveness and righteousness and sanctification. But it is also this, our spiritual gifts. Grace was given not only to defeat our foes and our sin, the spoils of his victory came to us in giving us specific, unique, spiritual gifts, things, talents that we can use for him So not only are you called to minister, but this is how you experience God's grace. This is why it is so energizing to us. When you live out of your gifts, when you serve others with the special skills and abilities God has given you, you experience the grace of Jesus. So what are the gifts? We keep on talking about them. Now this could be a whole other sermon. We don't have a lot of time to talk about this. But it's important that you think through them. What are the gifts? So you see them listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and Romans 12. You see them in 1 Peter 4, and then there are some listed even here in our passage. But I just want to kind of unpack a few of them, and I want to give you three categories to think of them. Truth, care, and leadership. Truth, care, and leadership. So what are the gifts in the truth category? Well, there you find things like the gift of evangelism. The gift of teaching, the gift of speaking, the gift of discernment, the gift of prophecy. The idea under this category is that you have a gift that is used for the edification of the church. You have a mind and a heart for the truth. You have a perception that goes beyond what normal people have. Maybe you have a truth gift or several. What about care gifts? Well, under this category are things like encouragement, the gift of encouragement. The gift of service. Maybe you have the gift for mercy, for healing, for helping. You want to serve the people. You want to care for them. You want to heal them and restore them. Well, that is a caring gift. Maybe you have that. What about the gift of leadership? This is a category. Things like administration fall under this. Things like wisdom or the gift of leadership itself. These are used to help the church function well. There are so many gifts, aren't there? Some people have just one. Some people have many. But they are to be used for His glory, for the upbuilding of the church. Now, I just want to say that it's actually very hard just on your own, just by looking at this list, to know what your gifts are. Now, you might have some discernment. You might say, yeah, I heard that one. That's mine. 
But actually, sometimes, it, but often it takes time to discover our spiritual gifts. John Newton, the old pastor, the hymn writer, he saw that there were three ways to learn your spiritual gifts. So if you write down anything this morning, maybe write down this. To find your spiritual gifts, look to affinity, ability, and opportunity. Affinity, ability, opportunity. So when you want to discover your spiritual gift, look to your affinity. In other words, ask the question, where am I drawn to in ministry? Where does my heart go in ministry? What am I drawn to? Which humans, what, what human needs do, as one pastor says, do I vibrate to? What human needs do I vibrate to? I think that's actually a, a good illustration. Have you ever seen the movie Jurassic Park, the first one? There's that scene where the T-Rex gets out of his cage, right? And, and they know that he is because they, they hear and they feel that first boom. Remember that? And they see it, though. It's not just the, something they feel. They see it, and they see that cup of water that's sitting on the dashboard, and it makes that perfect ripple every time there's that boom. Well, actually, the backstory to that scene, how they had to film that scene, they could not figure out how to get that cup of water, do that perfect ripple. They tried everything that they could. And then finally, someone, I think he was a musician, he said, let's use a guitar string, right? And so they literally strung a guitar string underneath the dashboard of that, that vehicle, that, the SUV, and they would pluck it really hard. And it was that one thing and that thing alone that made that cup of water do that perfect little ripple. What are the human needs that you gravitate to, that you vibrate to, that, you, that make you ripple, that makes your heart, that your soul vibrates? It ripples when you get close to that. Do you love administration? Do you love helping hurting people? Are you drawn to serve the poor and the outcast? Is your heart for teaching, for doctrine? What human needs do you vibrate to? So that's affinity. Here's the second thing, ability. Ability. Ask yourself the question, what are you good at? Where are you most effective in life? Where have you seen people impacted and helped by you? Let me say that I think that you may be surprised here. You need to keep your mind open that when God gives spiritual gifts, sometimes they're actually a little bit different, maybe totally different than what you are naturally good at. Spiritual gifts sometimes amplify what we are already good at, but often they are something totally new. When we become Christians, God gives us some new gift. Look out for that. Be open to that. You may be a great business leader, but maybe your spiritual gift in the church is to minister to the sick and the poor. You may be a wonderful school teacher, but your role in the church is to help administrate. What are your abilities? Affinity, ability, here's the last one, opportunity. This may be the most important one that you can do this morning, that you can take on today. Opportunity. What is, ask this question of yourself. What are the needs right now that I can jump into? What are the needs in this community, in my surrounding community, that I can jump into right now? Where can I serve? We are not always good at assessing our gifts. On our own, in a room, looking at the Bible, we are not good at it. We need to go put our gifts into practice. We need to go serve. 
We need to serve and figure out where is God going to use me? Only then can you figure out what you need. And often, it's often the case because what we're looking at, the gift we're looking at, does not seem appetizing. Like the kid and you put something new in front of them. I, I put a mozzarella stick in front of my kids last night, right? Horrible food, terrible food, deep fried, but just awesome. And you, anyway, I put it in front of them and they instantly are repulsed. It's a mozzarella stick. I don't want that. I said, just try it. And you know how impossible that is. But they did. They actually tried it. And then they loved it. Mozzarella mozzarella sticks taste awesome. There are gifts in your life that you need to look at that you may go, I don't want that. But it may be what God has gifted you to do. So my wife is amazing, beautiful, lovely, especially in her persistence when things. And a couple of years ago when she kind of took over Kidstown, she realized that we needed more people, more workers, right? And so she said, okay, well, let's just get everyone to serve. And I said, well, not everyone's going to want to do that. And she said, I don't care. And so she was persistent, and she went to a whole host of people who usually would have said no. And I think that they did for a little while, but she kept on asking. And so I think almost every able-bodied person has served in our kids' town ministry. It's possible that I'm the only one who never has. Isn't that kind of weird? Anyway, so through that, people who never would have done that, that ministry before discovered they have a gift for it. They are good at it. They are good with interacting with kids, teaching them the Bible, sharing Jesus with them. What are the opportunities that you can jump into right now? And I'm going to say one last thing. I don't have a word for this, but I I think it's important that we understand that our gifts, the spiritual gifts we have, will often need to be confirmed by other people. You cannot do this alone. You need other people looking in on your life. They need to share with you what they think that you are good at. We are usually blind to that. We have big blind spots. Get other people in your life and ask them, what is my spiritual gift? What do you think that I would be good at? Don't just go out on your own. Charles Spurgeon tells the story, and a man came to him, and he said, Charles, uh, God told me that I am set to preach at your church this next Thursday. I am supposed to preach at your church this next Thursday. And Spurgeon replied, you know, I know that's not true. And it's because no one told us. God gave gave each of us to help discern our gifts. When I was 19, I was on the path to be in professional music. And one of the pastors of our church came to me. I had been doing ministry off and on. I had thoughts about doing ministry, but I was mostly desirous of a a music career. And, And this person came to me and they said, you know, I didn't see it before, but now I do. And I think you are supposed to be a pastor. I did not want to hear that. I did not really want to hear that, but it stuck with me, obviously. Our first two points this morning have been you are called to build the church with your spiritual gifts. And here's the third point. By God's grace. You are called to serve and build the church with your spiritual gifts by God's grace. The call to service and especially the call to serve with your spiritual gifts, it does come with some possible pitfalls. I'm going to kind of end a little negatively here. 
But I just want to level set things. I want to make sure that you understand that ministry is not easy and that we are prone to sin even in this area. We need God's grace to cover us in our service to him. So I'm going to give you four things. We need God's grace to overcome gift cop-out, gift reluctance, gift projection, and gift blindness. So the first one, gift cop-out. We need God's grace to overcome gift cop-out. And the idea is pretty simple. When you do determine what your spiritual gifts are, when you figure them out, you're at the same time marking some other ones off the list. I'm an evangelist, but I am not an administrator. I have gift, a gift of mercy, but not really of encouragement. The problem is that we can use this as a cop-out, right? We can say, well... I'll do this, but I won't do that because that's not where I am gifted. Now, even if it's true, even if your gift is different, there are things that the Bible calls everyone to anyway. Take evangelism. This is the biggest one. Some men and women are absolutely set apart. They are powerful evangelists. They are natural. They can talk to anyone about Jesus. They have the gift. But the Bible commands that every person do the work of evangelism. What about faith itself? Did you know that's a gift? The gift of faith. Some people have deeper levels of faith than others. Well, we've got to have faith too. We cannot let that be a cop-out. Well, they are the people with faith. I don't have any. We need grace to cover this service itself. Service itself. Some have enhanced gifts in service. They are just amazing at serving others. They love it. They are so good at it. But everyone, as we've been saying all morning, is called to serve. May grace cover this in our lives, this tendency to do gift cop-out. We need God's grace to overcome gift reluctance. Gift reluctance. What I mean is that we may not always want to put our gift to work. We may have reluctance in putting ourselves out there. It is not always easy to be merciful to the poor. It is not always easy to go and speak to another person about Jesus Christ. But Jesus says that to whom much is given, much is required. We have been given these gifts and we are expected to use them. May God's grace cover us. May he give us passion. May he give us tenacity to use these for the glory of his name. Here's the third one. We need to overcome, we need grace to overcome gift projection. Gift projection. I get this from Tim Keller. This is really helpful. Gift projection is taking something that you are really good at, the gift that you have, and acting like it is the only important thing out there. It's the only important gift. You may be a really good teacher, for example. You have a, a lot of knowledge. Because you have that gift, you can have the tendency to believe that this is the only important thing in the church. Pastor, the only important thing is that we have right doctrine. Then everything else is fine. Everything else will be fine. Maybe you have the gift of mercy. You believe it's possible that you, and you, you may believe and act as though the only important thing in the church is to practice justice in the world. Pastor, we are not doing enough justice. This is the only important thing. We must be humble with our gifts. It's also possible to take our gifts, to project them and say, I am better than you. You don't have what I have. We've got to be careful with this. 
We cannot look down on others. We need to see this as a tapestry. We are called in one spirit by one spirit, in one body, for the sake of Jesus Christ. But we have all been given unique gifts. Our characters, our abilities, our talents are being used by Him. It is a beautiful tapestry. Let's encourage that. Let's be encouraging of each other and other gifts. You are amazing in administration. You are such a great encourager. We need grace to overcome gift projection. Here's the last one. We need grace to overcome gift blindness. I wasn't really sure what to call this one. Maybe you have something better. But here's what I mean. Gift blindness. It is possible that your gifts, that your talents, will blind you to a darkness in your heart. It is entirely possible, I think, to be gifted in ministry and be of low character. It is possible to be gifted and successful in ministry and not actually have a warm, intimate, passionate relationship with God. 1 Corinthians is usually read at weddings. 1 Corinthians 13 is usually read at weddings. Why? Because it's the passage about love. Paul's message there, though, is not as much about love as it is about our gifts and how our gifts work in accordance with his love and our love. He says that if you do not have Christian love, then it does not matter all of the things that you do in his name. It does not matter how great your gifts are. If you do not have love, then you literally have nothing. This is what he says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, that's one of the gifts, tongues. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all things, faith so as to remove mountains but have not love i am nothing we could perform the greatest spiritual feats we could be gifted beyond all measure and we could be covering up a deadness inside of us i think that when this happens what you're doing is you were relying on your gifts for your power and really what you're doing is you're saying I am responsible for this. I have created this gift in me. It was not actually a gift. I own this. And when you do that, you rely on it for your joy. You rely on that to do the service that you have to do. But let me tell you, and I have learned this from my own life, that if you rely only on your gifts, you will burn out. You will burn out. It will not Last, I refer to this passage often, and it's especially relevant today. 1 Peter 4.10 As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Now listen. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him be the, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Friends, more important than your gifts is your heart. More important than discovering and using your gifts is a right relationship with Jesus. And it's because ministry is hard. It is often cold. It does not often produce the results that you want it to. But to know that we do not have to rely on ourselves is good 
news. We do not rely on our power, but on the power of Jesus Christ. We look to him. Do you know that he had every spiritual gift? Not just every spiritual fruit. He had every spiritual gift, and he used them all for our sake. He gave up his life on Calvary. He put his needs. He did the ultimate work of ministry. He put his needs down, down, down. And he put ours above his, up, up, up. And so now we serve seeing him in the strength that he supplies. Friends, are you serving the church today? Maybe you are in a couple of capacities. Maybe God has something new for you. A new ministry you can begin in this church or somewhere outside of it. May it be so for your joy and for the building of the body of Christ. Let's pray. God, this is so incredibly exciting to know that you have given us spiritual power and that you long to unleash us into service in the world to change lives to change hearts, to bring about social change and justice, to bring reconciliation and healing to broken marriages, to make the church run really well and efficiently. God, you have given us these gifts and you long to unleash us. And so we just say to you, we are here. We are ready. Send us. God, I pray for those who are struggling to know what they are to do with their lives. God, would you give them discernment now? Even if they don't have that gift, give them discernment. And would you use the people in their lives, in their life, to help them, to give them guidance and wisdom? God, I pray for this church that you would help us. I fear that I have not talked about this enough, about unleashing people into ministry and helping people to become the ministers that you have called them to be. And so would you help us? Would you help me as a pastor? Would you help the elders? Would you help the leadership to grow this body, to truly equip every woman and man here, every saint for the work of ministry? And God, may it be used for your glory. May it be used for your glory, not just inside of our church, but outside of it. We long for people to know Jesus. We long for the people in the neighborhoods in this community for the people in Haverhill and North Andover and Andover and Lowell and Plastow and Atkinson and all the rest. We long for those people to know Jesus. And we know that you are sending us to make it happen. God, do this by your mighty power, by the work of the Spirit, to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ, our great servant. In Jesus' name, amen.